0: And the trick is, the little funny thing, is that you are actually accessing that superpower in yourself. It seems like, because you're not pretending to like yourself, you're pretending to be someone who likes yourself, and guess what, you actually are.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new Meathead Hippie podcast. I am your host, Emily Schramm. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner, entrepreneur, and I have an incredible guest today who you are going to be obsessed with uh, Liana Silver, the author of Feminine Genius The Provocative Path to Waking Up and Turning On the Wisdom of Being a Woman. That is the title of her book. And I am so obsessed with it that I had to interview her. So here we are. Before we jump in, I have a few cute, cool things. First off, I am so stoked because I have been working on a project about gut and digestion for a very long time. About a year and a half ago, we launched our first part of the body awareness project on skin. Then we did part two on adrenals and stress. And today, literally today, New Moon Vibes, we have launched part three, Gut and Digestion, which is the most complicated course because so many times skin issues actually are originating because of our gut. And so many times our stress issues are the tip of the iceberg. We kind of like go a little bit too far are happening because of bloating, digestive distress, irregularity. It's the root of so many things when it comes to adrenal stress. So I put it all in one course. And if you are a listener, please just, you know, to entertain me, go see the new website. You have a link in this uh, information of the podcast page that gives you 10% off as a Meathead Hippie listener. It's the code Meathead Hippie. But part three, Digestion, has launched. Thebodyawarenessproject.com. Code Meathead Hippie if you are feeling some digestive health, which we all should be because it's 90% of your immune system, 50% of your dopamine, 90% of your serotonin, and also how you show up in the world because it's all about how you digest food. So fairly important. I hope you love it. I'm obsessed with it. I know you will be too. The second thing is that I was in my last uh, podcast talking about kids looking up And I had this amazing thing that I just wanted to share. And I just am doing mainly because like, I want you guys to know how much I love when you guys share things with me. It is my favorite. Maybe you think that it doesn't matter or I don't see it. And sometimes maybe I won't see it. But I will say that every time you guys listen, every time you guys screenshot, every time you guys share with me that you're listening in some capacity in my Facebook group or in real life, it just, it's everything for me. That's my love language, words of affirmation, and asking ask me questions. <laughs> That's how I give and receive love. That's why I have a podcast. So I wanted to share this with you. So this is from Laura, um, one of my Facebook group people. She said, I'm not sure if you'll get this, but I listened to the latest episode, Shit M is Into. I couldn't help but think of my son and other young kids I've worked with. It amazes me how much kids look up. An airplane is never missed, a dark cloud causes excitement, forget about sunsets, my son sits at the front door window and stares telling me the colors he sees. Young kids also, like you said, seem to know their passion intuitively. The actions of their entire day are led by what makes them feel good. What happens when something gets in the way of that, like a mom saying they can't do this or they have a, they they can't do that. (laughs) The last thing I thought of was myself as a kid, a realization that adults really laughed. Just like we can learn so much from the world around us if we tune in, I think we can learn so much from observing kids. My little barefooted boy has taught me so much. And I just thought it was so perfect. So if you have kids, notice how much they look up. And then just like I talked about in my last podcast, the science of looking up is so real. If you haven't listened to it, just start looking up. Okay. So Liana, Liana Silver, we talked about so much, and the thing that I want to recap with is saying, first off, our issues of doubt, self-doubt, insecurity in our body. This is the biggest, the second biggest topic of things that we fear. I took a poll, and that was number two. Number one being finances and money. We talk about those, how those intertwine. We talk about how we know if we're being drawn to something or if we are being pulled to something because of expectation, how do we tap into our intuition, exercises, skills, so many at home takeaways or home uh, at home takeaways, <laughs> um, so many takeaways that you can just jump right into because all of us need to tap into our genius. We all have it. We get a little bit into the history of it. We get into the society Societal pressures and the cultural phenomenons that are happening that allow us to think we're not enough, and why we think we're not enough, we just jump right into and talk about. So, I'm just very in love with this podcast. And I think what's the most important thing is that when I think about anybody that's not feeling good, digestive stress, adrenal stress, skin issues, hormone issues, we of course can. Absolutely learn about what's going on and see what supplements are needed. But if you do not feel safe in your own body, if you are doing things kind of on autopilot without realizing how much they are affecting our internal organs and our internal systems, feeling like they are separate is our issue. These are one and the same. And a big piece of my part three gut course is understanding how we have to feel safe in our body again. Energetically, there's so much profound wisdom when we sit and tap into it. And this podcast is some really great ways to do that. If you're like, what the are you talking about? Just sit and listen. Here we go. Liana is a coach, teacher, speaker. She helps women find the full expression of their feminine strength and work, love, and life. And you can find everything in the links uh, below or just search for Feminine Genius. Liana Silver, I am so happy you are here. You are the author of Feminine Genius. And I mean, I just have so many questions. (laughs) So welcome. (laughs) So happy to be here. Yay. So I, it was so perfect. I feel like, um, you know, my bookshelf is right behind me and I've been finally meditating this year, which has been wonderful. Uh, It took a long time to get to that point. So I, regardless, anytime I kind of come out of it and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm really calm. I tend to look up at books that I have on my shelf at exactly the right moment. And I looked up at your book and I'm like, why haven't I talked to Liana about this? <laughs> so here we are on Me and Hippie podcast. Um, I wanted to say something just to jump in, and we'll get into so many amazing things that you write about, that you talk about, that you work with your clients on, because this is something we all are struggling to tap into. But when we do tap into it, the results and the ripple effects are incredible and inc- and and profound, not just in our own life, but in everyone's life that we reach. So, personally, was this, I mean, was feminine genius your own personal story of figuring it out for yourself?
0: Oh, yeah. I was really born it, to conscious parents, literally, who were, who deliberately left the dominant culture of New York and Boston, right, and, and moved to the Southwest in the 1960s to drop out of dominant culture and join the counterculture of the 1960s, right? All about increased consciousness and doing life deliberately. That's how I was raised. And a lot of that got a bit buried for a while. I've rediscovered it, Um, but dominant culture still had its hooks in me. And so I, my background happens to be dance and I like to say as a, so my mother was a dancer and I followed in her footsteps and I like to say that the rules that I discovered for making it as a dancer are probably the same rules to make it as a woman or girl in the world and they're pretty much be pretty be perfect be thin at this time in culture in history it's be thin be tough Um. And what that does, and those things unto themselves mostly, they're fine. They're just like different skills. But what it does is it drives underground certain parts of ourselves in all humans, all genders. It drives underground our abilities to intuit, not just to have access to our logic, to feel, not just think. It robs us of our ability to receive, not just act. It robs us of our ability to connect, not just compete. And I like to call those the feminine. And I was not interested in those qualities because they felt like they would be a liability. They would inhibit my dreams. They wouldn't help me get ahead. You don't feel, you don't cry. You don't, you, you tough it out. You use your willpower. You know, that's, you just, you don't have ups and down days. You just have up days and then you do what you have to do to make that work. Um, So even though my mom gave me women who run with the wolves when I was a young teenager, and even though, you know, there was just such consciousness around me, it still took me having to go through uh, a a process of forgetting and of pain, you know, to decide that I wanted these for myself. And I, I love what you said about the receive and connect
1: versus kind of do and compete. And I think that's something we all struggle with in, in the world of comparison and in the world of, you know, why her, not me, or I wish I could, it it is a, we live in a world of competition and we both have experienced, I'm sure of the difference of competing versus collaborating and the, I mean, it's just the, the, perfect example of fear versus love. And mm-hmm. I, I would be curious your thoughts of somebody that, whether it's comparison or whether it's them experiencing kind of that resistance from somebody in their own life, or maybe it's them themselves that tend to have these tendencies to compete in some capacity, right? Because we have to outlearn that. We have to, we're that. So it's like reteaching ourselves where would you even begin to go with that? Because that's such a deep rooted Mm. thing in our society.
0: Mm. What a great question. First, I would say that there's, maybe there's healthy competition and maybe there's unhealthy competition. Each of us are kind of like a racehorse in our own way. There, you know, we're born to run in the way we're born to run. We just have the thing that is Thing to do, and it brings us alive, and it brings something really important through us into the world. And being in the process of excellence around that, improving that, and just you know, going for that um, in a way you could call that healthy competition, I think is really healthy and really life giving. And then when we get into competition that's a comparison, I think that starts to steal our life. And I can point to what I feel like is one of the core wounds that almost every human has, and it can come from your family, your upbringing, your religion, you know, there's a lot of places it can come from, but essentially that core wound says that you are inherently flawed. There's something about you that just isn't up to snuff not good enough not lovable and so that is terrifying to realize um, let me say though we can we can talk about this in a second I want to dispel the myth of, of that core it's not true it's not true um, it's a little workaround we each do to, um, to work through a really painful situation so we'll come back to that Right, so let's, let's drop that little breadcrumb. But we still, we will all walk around thinking, I'm not enough. So, how could I pretend to be enough? So, I better get competing <laughs> with other people. And I think that when we understand we have this core wound, almost every human does, it's based on a lie, it's not actually true. And we sort of plug up the hole that that wound left, then the compulsion to compete, to try to prove that yes, I am enough. or Yes, I have a place on the earth. It just dries up. And what's left is, is our pursuit of excellence or just being able to be ourselves and, you know, bring what we got to bring into the world through us. And with the breadcrumb that you mentioned
1: of this was created so that I could get through something, right? It's a defense mechanism in some Mm. way. What does that even look like? How can you explain that to someone that, you know, kind of just, and this is something that, I mean, it takes so much self-awareness. It takes so much working through like, wow, okay. That, that thing, that person triggered me, not because they triggered me, but because that's something I have in myself. Like it's constant awareness and it's constant reflection. And if you're not doing it that, I mean, we have to be doing it right Right. all the time in order to finally get to the root of stuff. But if someone's like, you know, I notice that I'm comparing myself a lot and I notice that it makes me feel really low. And yeah, I relate to that, Liana. I relate to the fact that I don't feel like I'm enough. I walk around this world that feeling like, yeah, I, I don't deserve good things. And I also just really feel like crap about myself. Where do you even kind of deep dive into that start of maybe finding that origin or helping someone find that origin story?
0: Yeah. Great question. So a lot of this, I feel like we can happen upon ourselves, but because it happens often really quickly and beyond conscious awareness, it can be really helpful to work with somebody else, right? It's like, it's hard to see our own nose, which is why, or hard to see spinach in our own teeth, which is why we have a friend to point it out to us or you know, if we have a mirror, and that's just why someone else, you know, not because they are better than us. It's just, they can see things that we can't necessarily see for ourselves. And at the same time, there's so, I mean, pff, yes, awareness and introspection is just the incredible gateway in. So there's a saying. So when I work with people, I'm working on, it, Like, where did this thing get installed first? Where did it get inserted in your brain and your being? And there's a saying in neurology, which is what fires together, wires together. If you remember from schooling, the idea of Pavlov's dog. So there's this, right? There's a experimenter. He rings a bell and then gives his dog dinner and keeps doing it over and over again. And eventually the dog, when the dog hears the sound of the bell ringing, it'll salivate because what has fired together, the bell and dinner, right? They fired off together those two stimuluses, they wired together in the dog of the brain, in the brain of the dog, excuse me. So bell now equals dinner's coming. So, you know, yummy. And this is exactly how it works in our neurology. So there you are, you're six months old or six years old and you, um, get really mad and you, you know, were really sad and your caregiver is distracted or they're triggered by your own sadness or madness, and they can't really respond to you in a a way like you, your your system reaches out for some connection to another human being. They don't reach back to you in the way that they, that you need because they are distracted because they're crazy or dangerous or like, right, doesn't, doesn't matter, but it doesn't. So what fires together is I need, I need this connection. And I'm not connected to. So what fires together, wires together there is like, I've just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a state of anger or something or, or, or pain and I am alone. And so there's that, there's that ouch. And then what we do is we quickly comprehend, okay, wait a minute. I'm six months old. I can't take care of myself. The person who's supposed to take care of me is distracted or can't do the job. It's not. This does not bode well for me. They can't be a problem because then I'm screwed. So I can be the problem. If I'm the problem, I can get to fixing me. But I can't, you know, I can't fix them. And I don't want to contemplate what it means to be in a world where I'm not really taken care of. And it's not that you are. It's just in that moment, it feels like it. So what we all do in that moment is we tell ourselves a lie which is that I'm the problem. And if I can get to fixing me, then I can have some control over my world. So I must not be enough to be attended to in this moment. I must be flawed in some way. Um, and then maybe I can get to fixing my flaws. And that could help. We all do a version of this. It's so sweet and it's so elegant in one way. And it's freaking painful and, and completely revisable as well. Yeah. That's the work of finding those things,
1: right? That's yeah. the, and you know, as much as your mom was showing that to you and same for me, like having such a good role model, you still have to go through
0: it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And well, let me just say, you know, I study a lot of child developmental psychology and work with a lot of people's inner children. You know, I have one child, but I wouldn't say I don't work with, children as much as, you know, educators would. But, um, so if there are any parents listening and thinking, oh my God, the one time I was distracted, I totally screwed up my kid. It's just a majority of the time. We would just try to be present a majority of the time and just want to be good enough. There's no good enough is the, ter- is the term good enough.
1: I think this is a really good place to talk about how we can dig into history to see the things that we're used to seeing. So for somebody that's brand new to like understanding how this might be intertwined in our culture and the feminine genius has been muffled for so long where, you know, and you talk about this a lot in your book of just whether it is the word of whore and slut Mm -hmm. or whether it is just taking things that make us feel so small and irrelevant when we should feel so powerful and so, you know, respected, where would you even begin if someone is interested in kind of weaving through some of that history and those historical references? Because there's so much, Mm. it's all over. I mean, gosh, it's like a deep dive into, and then I love this. The reason I mentioned this is because once we understand it from that perspective and the way that you teach it, it makes, it adds up the, the dots a little bit quicker because you're not, just introspection, introspection, looking at myself, looking at myself, what can I do better? Because that can get very exhausting, constantly Mm. seeing the triggers and the mirrors and the work that we have to do and all our childhood wounds. Like it's just at some point you're like, God, I just want to break from this. (laughs) And so I feel like history is able to do that for us. Where would we even begin to start to understand, or at least from your perspective and your research of how this really started, some of the root things that we have in our society.
0: So one of my favorite people, and this is a great reference to maybe include, one of my favorite people, there's so many, but I'll just include this one. Her name is Rianne Eisler, and she has, I think her website is called the Institute for Partnership Studies. She's got quite a few books. Um, I love The Chalice and the Blade and Sacred Pleasure. And she is an anthropologist, even archaeologist. She studies the words and objects that that exist from history. The idea is that if we look at the things that have been left around in the dirt and on cave walls, the thing that we live inside of called patriarchy, which says that men, male bodies, and masculinity are superior to those of Female bodies, feminine energy, and and women and girls, um, and essentially, so it's five thousand years old. It's not ancient. It's not forever. But yeah, something happened five thousand years ago to really shift the thinking, and for the most part, almost every society that's organized. Not all. There's a, there's a few that still do it differently in, in the planet at this point. So. Um, she, she says, look, there actually is a time and you can look at these writings and you can look at these, um, drawings, et cetera, that points to where gods and goddesses were revered the same, where the masculine and the feminine were both thought to be really important. Um, that partnership, that, like we said before, collaboration, or connection is a really important value, not just competition. Now, there's a couple of things, we don't have to get too far into this, that I think are interesting. She points to the invention of, I think it was in the Bronze Age, and also some climate change, where essentially there were certain tribes who were like, we don't have anything to eat. So if we don't go dominate other tribes and steal their stuff, then we won't survive. And it started a, a culture of we're better than others. We have to, you know, dominate or take what isn't ours. And then there was also with the advent of really strong metals, um, the ability to, to, um, war over other tribes or other cultures in a way that was never possible before. Um, so that just kind of gives us an idea of what the heck went wrong. What's the ripple effect here? But if we look at, you mentioned a few things, um, One thing I love is, you know, there's these few, if you look at the root of certain words that are, mean something today, actually meant something very different several thousand years ago. Um, one of my favorites is, um, is virgin. We can do other ones if you want, but so virgin now means a person um, who has not had sex? It usually means heterosexual penetrative sex, right? It's usually like a, a male body can be a virgin, but often we're talking about you know, preserving virginity. It's it's to make sure that the woman or girl, you know, who has girl parts, um, has not had a penis, right? And that, and so there actually was this really long. A revered lineage of of temple priestesses. And these were girls and women who could go into the temple and learn about sexuality and its connection to sacredness and were, were really considered to be healers in the culture. And these women, um, and in fact, if you went and you decided you did want to be a temple priestess, you were considered purified marriage even though you would be engaging in sexual sexuality and sexual energy with people right you wouldn't be a virgin in the way we think of it before marriage which now would discount you right like you're you're ruined for marriage in some in some eyes but the but you were actually purified or prepared for marriage if that was your path and what virgin meant so these temple priestesses were considered to be virgins and what that word meant was whole unto yourself. So a woman who was whole unto herself, not untouched by a penis, but just whole unto herself, and it really um, just turns on its head this idea of the way that women, even if we're not heterosexual in our sexual preferences and orientation, that we do really orient toward the um, toward heterosexuality, and that making ourselves. pleasing to the men in our world is really important. It's tantamount to survival. And this really pulls back several thousand years in history and says this wasn't always the case.
1: And that is so real today. I mean, that's our marketing. That's Mm. our culture. Those are the magazines. It's about smelling a certain way and looking a certain way and being a size of a certain way. And if someone is like, you know, and all of us can, Easily we're we're surrounded by it. So it makes sense why we're affected by it. But I feel like how do we take something that okay, historically, this is something that we've been taught, it's been misconstrued, or it's just been taken to a place that it shouldn't, it wasn't ever intended to be taken to. How do we apply that? What are some ways that we can today start to notice some of those patterns of wow, this is because I, you know, I feel pressured to look a certain way because that makes me more desirable. <laughs> Not anything to do for myself whole within myself. It has everything to do whole for another person. Mm-hmm. And how hard that is to break. You know, that is a big pattern of something we've grown up in and we still are surrounded by. And maybe Absolutely. it's our family, our sisters or our brother. I mean, it's everything. It's like our whole family, we think that way. So I guess it's just you know, what would be a good way to kind of start to see things in a different light? Maybe it's just awareness.
0: Well, I think it's awareness definitely. I mean let me let me make that even a little more specific. So I think the really simple version is awareness is when you start to notice or just notice that so much of your training as a woman or a girl has been to completely ignore what you think and feel on the inside and live what I call from the outside in, which is how do I appear? How do I look? Am I marketable and palatable to someone else? And just noticing that and going, wow, that that's a fair amount of my existence. I mean, I think, you know, if you can, um, don't read fashion magazines. Avert your eyes from the fashion billboards. Um, be selective what you're doing on social media, that stuff enters your body and your brain. And and if you start to notice that you're feeling the the, the core wound of I'm not enough, um, you know, my eyebrows don't look like hers or my waistline <laughs> doesn't look like hers, whatever, you know, just like put the magazine down. Um, I, You know, I feel like it's a really wonderful way to start also is um, this might be the most Quoted quote ever on the face of the planet, but the poet Mary Oliver said, um, you "Just have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves." And so I think it can be a really reorganizing thing to do, which is just start to pay attention to what do you lean toward, like a plant leans toward the light. What does your body love? Does it love to, you know? run your fingers through the fake fur coat at the store? Does it lean toward this juice or that juice? Does it lean toward, right? Just paying attention to what um, feels good and natural in our body. Yes. And you know, this is a little bit different than what are you compelled um, or obsessed over, there's a difference because, because there are some things that act as addictive substances, White like refined sugar, you know, drugs, fashion magazines, their they're Instagram, certain things on Instagram. Yeah. Most things on Instagram. And so those are, uh, they trick our bodies. They're right. They, they did they create an addictive response in us. And this, our bodies are um, our bodies really want to be balanced and they really want us to be well and they really want us to feel good in a, in a good way without, without toxic side effects. So I still think you can start to discern when you're leaning towards something and it feels organic and natural to you and when you're leaning towards something and it feels uh, like it's just sharp edged or, or got a flavor of addiction in there.
1: Probably the best, maybe the best way to de- to describe it is it, you think you should, like mm-hmm. there's a should incorporated into that pool because mm-hmm. the things that we truly are leaning towards that are energetically pulling us versus addiction, dopamine, whatever, non-healthy pool or kind of gravitational pull of the things we shouldn't be drawn to. It's like, life should be doing that. Oh, okay. That part. And it's usually intertwined with I should be doing that because I see somebody else doing it, and that means mm. that I should too, which is right back to comparison and competitiveness at its core. <laughs> so maybe that's the simplest way to to just you know help yourself describe um, or discern—that's the word I'm looking for—of is this something I'm leaning towards because it's truly in my being, or do I have a should? I should be doing that, and that took me years to figure mm. out. I mean, I was, and it was mostly unpacking ego, right? Like I should be doing this because Mm. I'll look a certain way, or I should be doing this because I have to prove something. I have so much to prove, or I should be doing this because I need people to understand that I'm more than what this is. And it was all ego because it was how I was trying to define myself to others, not how I was trying to define myself
0: to me. Yes. Yes. I think what you're saying too is, There's a way to just even notice, in fact, I wrote an Instagram, speaking of, probably social media that won't make you feel bad about yourself, (laughs) but I wrote an Instagram post today that just said that there's, when you notice the energy of comparison, that's um, a signal that you're doing it wrong, quote unquote. I don't really think we're ever doing it wrong, but it's not that you have things you want to improve or shortcomings. But that there is an ideal and that you're measuring the distance between you and that ideal and that process, that energy is so destructive. So just like put it down, walk away. And then you, all that energy that was out there, comparison, you just bring it back into yourself and go, what do I feel? What do I think? What do I need? Right? Just like, let's check in with my body and my being and what is true that has nothing to do with a false ideal that someone else made up or I made up but me, this, this alive being right here. I love that because
1: you're instantly saying the, what you said about the breadcrumb and the childhood, like it is because it's like, I am lacking something. I must be flawed. I need to fix that. And so it's instantly saying, okay, that triggered me. I feel like not good enough, or I really wish I had that. I mean, I get this so much as far as what I see people struggle with. It's like, they think that the person that they're the grass is always greener on the other side, right? So it's more about sharing stories. And that's what collaboration does when you're doing the Mm. opposite of competition. You start to share those stories and then you don't feel like you're on your own island. But then you start to say like, okay, well when that happens, because it's inevitably inevitably going to happen in the world that we're in with our job, with our family, with our uh, social media or building our business or our brand. And with competitiveness and seeing things as a business owner or an entrepreneur, there has to be a level of awareness. What is your competition? I mean, you have to know what Mm. other people are doing. So that does exist. It just is saying, okay, that exists. I see it instead of me going to that next place of feeling really bad about myself. I love what you just said. What, what might I be needing? What might help me fill up? And one thing I've, you know, this is very, personal but one thing i learned about myself about 4 years ago in therapy was i actually didn't even know how to answer that question right. i had no idea what i needed i had no idea i i just felt gross i felt icky and i felt gross mm-hmm. i had no idea it, and it was like i didn't even have a blueprint of what i could pull from to help feel a little less like on my island and it was building that menu from scratch of my toolkit of saying okay, I've, I've noticed this. I know I can figure out what I need and what I feel. If someone else is like, yeah, I don't know what I need. I just feel like crap. I hate this feeling.
0: Where, how do you help build that toolkit? How do you help build that menu? Hmm. Well, let me walk you through an exercise. It's in my book and it's also on my website as a video. It's just like a five minute video I walk you through. So we won't totally take all the time here so you can get the more Kind Which
1: chapter specific. are you on? I want to I want to make sure I'm on the right one.
0: Finding your yes and your no. Okay, I'm ready. All right. So here's the thing. You do know your intuition, your connection to what you need and what is good for your body and what's a good next step for you is absolutely intact. It might be buried. It might be on mute. It might be something that you are accessing for the first time, but it's intact. This is not, this does not get broken. This is inside you, right? So there may be a process to connect to it, but it's still there. And what this exercise does is start to have you be able to answer the question. What do I want or what am I feeling or what do I need? Meaning how does my body, when I ask that question of myself, what, how do I get an answer? What is my body? How is my body responding to me? And I'm not saying you don't ask your mind. There, um, you know, if we, we're going to just call things masculine and feminine, the mind is masculine and the body is feminine, just as a useful way to think about it. And our minds are used to jumping in quickly, they're loud, they're overbearing, and they only have a small window of perspective on life. And our bodies are connected to. A huge amount of cosmic intelligence and collective soul and your intuition, which is kind of the same thing. It is this huge bandwidth of information that most of us don't tap into. Um, I have time to tell a really quick story before I do this. Okay. So, oh, all right, good. So hold on. We're holding on with the exercise. We'll do it in a second. And so just to give you a sense. So I don't know, probably 20 years ago, I was studying yoga and I was studying holistic nutrition and really just trying to understand how to heal from a lifetime of eating disorders and be in this body. And uh, my partner at the time was researching a company to buy part of, buy-in part of it. So he was deep in the, you know, all the masculine mind things, profit and loss statements and pie charts and doing, you know, due diligence. And he'd completed that process, decided he wanted to go ahead and offhandedly came in and said, what do you think? what does your body think? Should I, should I go for it? And I was like, huh, I don't know. I'll ask. What do you think, body? And I got a no. And in a minute, we'll go through the process so I can explain what that no felt like. But I said, you don't know. And he's like, oh, well, thanks for sharing. I'm going to go ahead anyways. And then I don't know exactly what happened, but something came out that that company he was going to buy into had been falsifying some of their information and it would have been really financially devastating. And I thought, right in that moment, what I realized was that seemingly simple question. My body, my intuition, my feelings had access to a kind of information that all that mind activity did not. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do our due diligence and research and pie charts, but I think we need to do both. We need to do both so i want you all to have access to that that wisdom of the body what's amazing is
1: because when people and we you know as i am really loving being an entrepreneur the start of it was not because i knew my numbers and my logic and my brain and you know i just talked to some my dear friend who also owns a business it's like if we would have used our brain we would have stopped ourselves we would have never gone through with it we would have just said, you know what, actually, that doesn't realistically make sense. Cause it doesn't, it on paper, it doesn't make sense, especially when you're just saying, I need to do this. I have to do this. I have to put it out there. The logic, you know, that those thought processes, it could look a certain way and it could look good or it could look bad. And that's what's so frustrating with corporations. It's like, you, how, and I want to, we'll, I'll get back to this so we can go through the exercise, (laughs) but yes. Like, how do you have something that is so much more powerful and so much more in touch with what is meant to be that precedes any spreadsheet? And that is the, the work that you can combine them both into a very powerful way. But that's the, the only reason I'm here today is saying I I'm, hold to this and I'm going to do it, even though logically I might not completely understand it. I just know. And, and, uh, uh, take us through this exercise.
0: Yes. (laughs) Great. So that knowing that is what is absolutely intact in every woman, every man, every human being. And so this is the building blocks. This exercise is the building blocks of reconnecting or connecting to that knowing. So, um, what you do is you just take a moment. You might want to close your eyes or whatever. You're going to be paying attention kind of to your body or even the inside of you, which might be a little bit different. So sometimes closing your eyes is good. And then what you do is you ask yourself a series of questions that you already know. The answer is yes. So the ones that I suggest three or four questions, something like, is my name? And then you fill in your name. Yes. Cause right. You know, the answer is yes. Yeah. Is my name Liana? I know the answer is yes. Do I love, and then fill in something that you love something or someone that you love. Do I feel really alive or passionate when I, and then fill in the blank after you, so you're going to ask yourself the question and then you're going to check in with your body. You're looking, you're looking and listening and sensing for what you feel and where you feel it. What you feel means sensations like warm or cool or expansive or contractive or tingly feelings like joy or dread or you know doom or pride. What am I feeling and where am I feeling it? And if this still feels a little confusing, you could imagine what you're doing. So let's say you're in the doctor's office and the doctor says, okay, tell me about the pain in your abdomen, and you, but you can't point to it. So you probably would put your attention on the inside of your body. You try to imagine the inside of your belly and describe what you're feeling, right? Is it a stabbing pain or is it a sharp pain? It's kind of over to the right. It's, that's what you're doing to yourself, right? So you ask yourself these three questions. You already know the answer is yes. And then you listen and sense for what you feel and where you feel it. And then after those three or four questions, you think, what was similar about that? What was the common denominator of what I was feeling and where I was feeling it? You write it down or just note it for yourself. And then you do the same for no. Right? So then you ask yourself, is my name Barack Obama? <laughs> no. And except for one person or maybe a couple of people. <laughs> so, you, so that's the one you know is a no. And again, you listen for, sense for, what do you feel and where do you feel it? Do I love? And then you insert someone or something that you hate or abhor. Again, listen for, sense for, what you're feeling and where you're feeling it. All through those three or four questions. And again, what is the common denominator, right? So that is how your body says yes and your body says no. There is going to be a specific signature of feelings and where you feel it, like in your low belly, like in your shoulders, like in your chest, um, that is going to be similar. And it is a sent, it, this is a knowing, this is a yes for your body. It just is. This is a no for your body. And that's the building blocks, right? That's what I asked that, that day when my partner said, you know, should I buy the company? What do you think? I just asked, sensed, and got a no. Now, this might be a quick process for you, or it might be a little bit slower. We all have a different speed that we ask questions and we get responses from our body. Um, So just, you know, be a little patient with yourself. But the reason I say building blocks is, you know, our inner knowing sometimes speaks to us in terms of yeses and nos. Sometimes it's, you're gonna have images that come to you or going to get like very clear instruction in the form of words that's always nice <laughs> that doesn't happen very often but you know this is this is how your intuition speaks to you I'll say real quick too that if you're the type of person who like you were doing a meditation and you looked up and saw that my book and you had this intuitive knowing ooh let's have a conversation so if you're the kind of person who gets intuitive nudges from outside quote in the world like that or you see a specific animal and it's your spirit animal or I was gonna I literally just wrote down because I've seen so many snakes and yes. I want to talk about that with you <laughs> okay good good so let's hold that and the only thing I'll say about that is hallelujah however you get confirmation of your knowing I'm I'm a 100% fan and notice though that I probably saw a bunch of snakes and they they passed right by my awareness but for you what happened was there was a, something you felt and somewhere in your body that you felt it, that let you know that that was your intuitive sign. It's still going to be in your body, even if the sign is coming from out there in the world, if that makes sense.
1: Yes. And it, and it feels at first kind of like, eh, maybe I'm just making this up because it's external. But as soon as you dig into it, you're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I needed. Yes. Well, okay. Well, so I'm just going to go into it because I, it was so perfect because I saw your book and we started scheduling the interview. And then out of nowhere, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I almost stepped on a rattlesnake. It was oh. just like within inches. It did, didn't look at me. It kept going. And I just was like, oh my God, what does that mean? So I started looking at snake. They have come up in my life for the last two weeks nonstop, whether it's my Oracle cards or whether it's mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I mean, it's I've seen three in person in the last two weeks, which I've never seen any in the wild ever. So it was just like, what does this mean? And then I started, there's this really fun podcast, um, The Shaman's Way, and she was mm. talking about the story. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, Cricket? that sounds oh, great. Oh, she's so cool. Her name's Cricket. And she has this, she's just a shaman that talks about some journey of animals and the misunderstanding of snakes. And it is so directly tied into everything feminine and everything, like as far as What we just said about virgin and sexuality and taking something that is so sacred and beautiful and ours and making it someone else's and seeing Mm -hmm. it as evil and bad. And so then digging into snakes even more, it got into Kundalini Yoga, which is in the exact chapter that you are talking about of the yes and the no. And so I would love to dig into that because that's definitely why I'm here of this whole connection that I just had. Mm -hmm. And then your book, um, would you explain? it's kind of the, the passionate pelvis is what you say it is of moving into this part. I feel like I am fairly familiar with chakras and this kind of, whether it's root and sacral and solar plexus area, but for someone that's so brand new to even feeling energy in their body, how would you explain that kind of process of feeling our own body in that way?
0: Well, this probably sounds really weird to someone who who isn't, doesn't speak chakra or for whom this is new because it's kind of like pelvis, you just pretend you don't have one, <laughs> you know, or that's down there, you know? Yeah. So it's even weirder to talk about it or even weirder to say that there's something really important going on there. And so I just, we'll just grab a few clues here. So in anatomy, from um, I guess probably the Latin and the Greek when body parts were named, um, if you're talking about your, your pelvis, it's made up of your pelvic bones and your, your, your sacrum and, uh, pelvis means cup or vessel and sacrum means sacred. So it built into the anatomical language that like your pelvic bowl is actually called a sacred vessel. And that is, you could certainly say, yeah, you know, you could have some women Some female bodies can create life and that's pretty sacred. I take it to be metaphysical as well, which is there, this is the seat of creation, creating a business, creating a baby, creating a book, creating breakfast, (laughs) you know, whatever is the creative energy that is, that's coming through us. There is a, um, a word in Sanskrit, which is the ancient, um, language of of India and, you know, those parts of Asia that calls lady parts, literally the vulva and the vagina, yoni, which means gateway to the sacred. And so we started to gather these clues and realize, wow, this thing that we ignore, just call down there and don't talk about, some people thought are pretty darn sacred or, you know, the energy of creation. So kundalini is, um, is a kind of energy. It's a kind of, of yoga, right? But it's speaking to a kind of energy that says that at the very base of your body, in your sacred vessel, <laughs> at, right? At your tailbone, your sacrum, is this energy that is erotic, that is sexual and is sacred. It's one and the same. It is the, it is life force itself. It's what animates everything. It's what passion is. And it's coiled there in your pelvis. And then through these breathing techniques and movement techniques, you can release it. And the symbol is a snake that kind of uncoils, right? And then, uh, yeah, exactly. Kind of uh, comes up your spine uh, to give you access to that energy.
1: And it's a lot of, and I actually, I YouTubed it because I was like, I had to try this. And I tried to get to one in Denver and I missed the time slot. So I was like, all right, I'll just do it in my little room. And it's, it was quite intense. It was very, I mean, I definitely want to do it in an environment with people, with the real teacher, kind of that energy that collaboration, again, brings. But even just that small experience of a YouTube video, I was like, okay, yeah, I can see yes. this. This is very effective. Yes, <laughs> oh, exactly. my God. And it is creation. I mean, it's like when people want to create, it is tied into you. Feeling grounded, it's tied into feeling rooted in your relationship, in your life. It is, you are your most creative when you have your two feet on the ground. And I just think that's so beautiful.
0: Hmm. There's there's one other word too that I love, which um, kind of relates to everything we're talking about. Um, This was, yeah. I met a new friend in a cafe one day for lunch and was kind of trying to make sense of a really confusing, painful time I was in. And, um, it really feels like in some of those times that our inner demons, right? We're having to look our, look at our demons or, um, and I was mentioning this to her and she said, well, you know, it's interesting. The word demon actually comes from the word daemon, D-A-E-M-O-N, which is Kind of like, you know, a, a spirit or a little kitchen elf or something that we we each have, little perched inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that what a daemon does is is a mouthpiece for your inner knowing. Just you know, for the exercise we're doing of reconnecting you to what is your intuition or your knowing. It's another word for it, which is daemon. At a certain point when the christian church was being codified and certain words were changed certain rites and words were changed daemon was changed into demon so that this idea that we all had this little trusty voice of inner wisdom that we could access at any point inside our own selves no intermediary needed was changed to say no 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 you can't trust that inner voice that's the voice of a demon you probably need to have, you know, someone ordained to tell you if that's okay to follow or not. And I just fell over in my chair. <laughs> um exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That and I think this is part of this re, I don't know, re-revirginization process we're in, right? Which is maybe I can trust myself.
1: Wow, I have to I'm taking this back. How and that's really, you know, When we look at self-doubt and what you really work on the most, we doubt ourselves. We doubt ourselves in our body. We feel so insecure in our body, but we also doubt what we're capable of.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's just (laughs) shedding the layers of uh, you know, lies we've told ourselves or untruths that we brought into and going, Oh wow, I actually know. Oh, I do. I do. I know what I want. I I know what I need, I know what I feel, I know what I think, and I probably am only gonna get one step at a time, and that's kind of the way intuition works. It doesn't give you the whole play-by-play usually, but um, so I think it's both. It's kind of the shedding process, the pruning away of all the stuff that we know is noise, and then really focusing on bringing out this intact inner knowing and self-trust
1: What you just said, what you just said, I feel like I wanted to, you said one step at a time. And I think what I noticed so many times with people is they will have a good idea. They're leaning into something. They're really like lit up about something, something that makes them excited. They're clearly drawn to that thing that we're talking about. But if they don't know the full story, if they don't know the end game and people start to say, well, okay, well, what are you going to do with that? Or uh what does that look like in a year or what's the full plan your your body instantly shuts down cuz it's like mm. i just i just had an inkling i don't know all the answers so then since i don't know all the answers this must be wrong right. so what you just said is so real
0: yes i what we need to do is is dignify the intuitive hit we need to dignify our desire we need to blow on those embers and those coals and really see what's there And yeah, we probably need to, if it's something that you're trying to make money at, you need to find a way to make money so you don't burn yourself out. There's, there's reality to it, but we can't let our mind or the plan or the, you know, the logic step on the good idea. Definitely. Definitely.
1: Uh, And even just the idea, what you just said of making money and having you know, financial security, that's your home base. Like how, how can we tap into our creativeness, our sacred bowl, if we don't even feel financially secure? Like that's the struggle I see so many times Mm -hmm. of back and forth. Do you see that a lot as well?
0: Oh yeah. And I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of back and forth. So I think there's this process where we're reversing the order that we usually, um, do things. We usually, come up with a plan first and then think, you know, what's what? A, where does my passion fit in there? Uh, we come up with, you know, is it ra- rationally sound first? We, we go with our mind before our body or our feelings or our intuition. And what we're trying to do is reverse the order, is listen to our bodies and our intuition and our feelings first, not only, but first. And as we do that and allow those voices to You really feel them and really understand them, then our minds can go, How can I help? So this gets a little metaphysical to say, but I like to say that we are leading with our feminine genius, and then our masculine genius is supporting. Because feminine genius is why, you know, it's the thing that you want to bring into the world. It's why you do it. It's the passion, it's the beauty, it's the change. And your masculine, your mind your spreadsheets, your financial, you know, what's in the bank account is in support, is in service of that. And it's wonderful (laughs) to be able to, yeah, feel that financial abundance, but when the, it's gotta be in the right order or else our mind goes, wait, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a job above my pay grade. So I'm going to be a tyrant (laughs) and I'm going to shit all over your good ideas, because I'm scared, and we'll, right, and so then when we can um, make room to really feel our feelings and our intuition. Our mind eventually gets on board in a space of service. How can I help? How can I get this into the world? How can I do this in a more efficient way so you don't burn out, sweetheart? And it's a, it is so connected. They're so so
1: intertwined.
0: Yeah. Ah, okay. So we have
1: awareness, just being aware when we start to feel things make us feel. certain ick, we can come instead of going outward and competitive or compare comparative, we go inward. What do I need? I love that tip that you give. Um, you start to notice what you're leaning towards by using the comparison of what do I know to be true and how does my body react? And then what do I know that I do not want and how does my body react Mm. and using Mm. that I, I I love the Seth Godin. I love Seth Godin, but the quote you mm. wrote in your book of you think you need a map, but what you really want is a compass. That, mm. That's your compass, right? Yes, that's your that's compass. so good. Um, and then this like coiled snake thing, just to kind of is there and you even have the an oracle meditation of doing kundalini. Do you integrate that every day? What do you, how do you help someone? Is it when you are like stuck in your body and you can't access some of these things? What is some like very daily or weekly physical things that people can do, you know, that just start to get them into this compass, into this, I have the, the Dobies telling me what to do. And that's me. That's not something outside of me. That is me. How, what other ways can we start to access that?
0: Well, I definitely do a version of that in my meditation so that I mean, most meditation is an awareness process of understanding where your thoughts are meeting your feelings. So, you know, it. but a lot of meditation can get you out of your body, actually. So I like ones that put attention on your body, what you're feeling and where you're feeling it in your body. So, you know, just because it's written out, there is the oracle meditation in my book, which is just a breathing practice and then a reflection, right? Some questions you can ask yourself. It's a breathing practice to direct your breath into your body. Um, and then do you want me to go through it real quickly? Okay. Sure. So, you know, if you want, you can reference it because it's step-by-step and maybe a little more clear, but what I do and, and I tend to not have a ton of time and I also can get connected to my body very quickly. So you might want more time, but you know, if I've got five minutes or 10 minutes, this I'll do it. Um, So you just may need more, just respect what you need. But essentially what you do is you start by just getting relaxed or sitting however you would or standing however you would for any kind of meditation. And then imagine that your breath, instead of you're breathing in through your nostrils or your mouth, that you're actually breathing in through the base of your spine, through into your sacred vessel, into your passionate pelvis, and that you're breathing in and you're imagining your breath traveling up your spine and all the way through your head. And then as you're exhaling, you imagine it kind of shooting out the top of your head like a little blowhole, like a whale, and then, shooting, then cascading in front of you like a waterfall. And then you imagine breathing that in again through the base of your spine. I call this circular waterfall breathing or oracle breathing. And as you do this, that's enough, right? Just imagining that your breath is entering and feeling the inside of your body is fine. And you could also imagine that your breath has a quality to it, that it's maybe waking up your body on the inside, enlivening you, that maybe it's soothing or calming. So kind of whatever you might need at that moment. And what that does is it puts your awareness through your breath into your body and reminds you that you exist below the neck and that reminds you that there is information intelligence in your, in your body that you can have access to. And then the second part of that is after you've done that for a bit, you can ask yourself some questions and I kind of keep them simple as opposed to like, what am I meant to do with my life? I mean, maybe, but I think it's maybe nicer to say, you know, what do you need today? What am I not seeing about that situation? Just something pretty small, um, and simple. And then you listen for what you feel, where you feel it in your body to see what the answers are. Yeah.
1: I love that. And I also think just, it might be helpful. Maybe if both of us share some of our, what I needs, some of the common answers that we both get. So when we feel kind of off, what are some ways that you take, take care of yourself, that you nurture yourself? For me personally, sometimes it's movement, but sometimes movement is a way to avoid And so I really have had to learn if I'm a natural mover and I'm a natural doer, I have to sit. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so it's usually nature. It's either being in nature, which involves some movement, but mostly just no music, listening to sounds, stopping and looking at flowers that I see and picking up sage and smelling things, having no time agenda, just very present nature walks. Oracle cards, of course, <laughs> baths, baths are my favorite. <laughs> um, anything that smells good and cooking. I found that cooking has been my other Ooh. one. Uh, those have been really helpful. And I, it, it's just crazy to think that it took 27 years to even think about what my blueprint would be. You know, it, it, the last three years have been the, oh my gosh, I actually need a menu of what I need. Yes. <laughs> yes. So
0: I, what are some of your favorite? This add to the menu and then listeners can pick off the menu if any of them appeal for sure. Oh, very similar. Actually, I find that things that, um, correspond to my senses really, really satisfy something. Meaning, am I going to look closely at the flower? Can I, you know, smell the candle burning? Can I pet my cat? Um, can I just have some water and really taste the water? Um, sometimes I could just lie down for a second and I'm really not a napper. And I just, I like to keep going when I'm going, but if I can just remind myself that it's about the quality of laying down, it could be for a few seconds. Yes. Um, I, I hate naps sweet. too. That's yeah, so funny. I, isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it um, could be a little bit more esoteric. Like I have a, I think this is universal, but I have a, a need for meaning, you know, and what that means then that is perhaps I'll, I'll listen to a podcast or read a book or have a conversation with, I know, I know with someone who's all a meaning junkie, you know, like what is, what are you learning? What's the thing that's revealing itself to you? And it's a kind of food for me. Um, yeah. That's perfect. I think that's
1: so good. Um, my last question for you, I feel like one of the things that. I see people struggle with the most is understanding that their body is beautiful and we have to fake it till Mm. we make it. And we look in the mirror and we are getting all these messages of self-love and that we should be accepting of our body, but everything in us is saying, I hate what I see. I hate Mm. what I see. And Mm. so we're trying to convince our brain of something our body doesn't truly feel. Mm. I would love to know how you approach that with people.
0: So complicated answer first and then simple answer, there's a a process, there is a way that the feminine sees and it sees through the eyes of beauty. It sees beautiful, which is not always pretty, but it's always beautiful. And what our minds and our masculine culture and patriarchy does is it puts us like a pair of glasses over our eyes and, and the filters only what is missing, only what is flawed, only what is wrong, only that we judge, right? And so the process is to notice that that's so, to manually take those glasses off and put on ones that are the eyes of the feminine, which is what can I appreciate? What can I see that is already right and that's already good and that's already just fine and plentiful and even maybe that I'm curious about or, you know, that is is beautiful? That is sounds simple. It's fatiguing. It's like training for a marathon because it's a new set of muscles and everything in us says, I'm just fooling myself or "Right, right, I'm just pretending, but it catches on. It is a way of seeing that is more true. That is more true. So I, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years (laughs) and helping other people, to do this as well. So let me just give you an example. So let's say with the fault finding glasses, you look and you notice the cellulite on your thighs and you go, I'm unlovable and my future is crap. And then you take off those glasses, you put on the glasses that say, what, how can I see through the eyes of beauty? Now you have a choice. You could say, all right, I think it's a little too much for me to say that cellulite is beautiful. But can I notice the way that my thighs curve? What a graceful curve. Can I notice the, the distinct shade of my skin and the way it catches the light? Or maybe, can I know, Can I just see with different eyes and like, oh, it's kind of not a big deal. It's just a shape of skin. Like, it's not a character assassination. It's just some dimples on my skin. It, it's like, it's fine. It's okay. Really, we're going to be okay. Um, so that's the, the complex practice that is really profound. And I would say too, feel free to pretend to be someone who loves themselves. It's not, you're not pretending that you love yourself. Pretend to be someone who can see through the eyes of beauty. How would that person see? What would they say to themselves? That is, maybe there's a, you know, this is the way our, our, if you hear the term mirror neurons work, we look around, we see someone who's doing the little running move or the, you know, the, doing some artwork the way we want to do it. And we go, Oh, I, that is mirrored into my brain. I can now do that for myself. It's a way of being, it being modeled or we could even call it, you're pretending to be them for a minute. And and, you know, it works for me all the time. What would, you know, what would Oprah do? Like I'm just pretending to be Oprah.
1: (laughs) And like, when you see someone running, (laughs) you're like, Oh yeah, I can be that person that takes the stairs. I could be that person. I'm going to pretend to be that person. I'm going to pretend to be the person that's the runner. And I'm just going to try it out and see what happens. I'm going to pretend to be the person that doesn't care what their time is and they're just doing it. They just don't care.
0: And the trick is, the little funny thing, is that you are actually accessing that superpower in yourself. It seems like, because you're not pretending to like yourself, you're pretending to be someone likes yourself and guess what you actually are. So it's kind of like a cool little one to get over on yourself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Liana. So I, I just finished my book last Sunday and I <gasps> Congratulations. have, thank you. And it's like, you know, not like a typical book, like yours is pa- like packed, like this oh, is goodness. a lot of words, yeah. <laughs> which I love. Mine is like a book of poetry, but I have a poem mm-hmm. on that as well. So that's so fun that you just said that. Cause I'm oh. like, Oh, I just
0: wrote about that.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, yay. I will make sure I send it to you. Yes, <laughs> please. And congratulations.
0: Thank no you. matter how big or small it is a thing. So congratulations.
1: Uh, thank yeah. you, Liana. This has been so great. I'm going to have so many follow-up questions. I just know it, but I'm, I cannot wait to get people access to you and the work mm-hmm. that you do through this book, through your social media, feminine, geni- feminine genius, Liana Silver. This is um, the provocative path to waking up and turning on the wisdom of being a woman. How badass is
0: that? (laughs) (laughs) This has been so great. Thank you so, so much, Liana. What an awesome conversation. Thank you for having me.